when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome to another edition of Waypoint Article Reads, uh, right here on Waypoint Radio. Uh, obviously, Rob normally hosts these, uh, but but Rob is the, 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 the writer in question this time, which means that I'm going to throw to him. He's going to tell you all about a game called Frostpunk, which is the latest city builder uh, by 11-Bit Studios, the team that made uh, this, war, this war of mine a few years ago. Uh, it's a kind of a post-apocalyptic, snowbound city. Uh, uh, City Builder, it's really neat, uh, and his his article, his review was fantastic, so listen to that, and then stick around, as always, for a uh, conversation between he and I about that. Uh, and just as a heads up, the feed is going to get pretty pretty stuffed with content, with hashtag content in the next couple of days, because we have this, we have a Battletech review and read uh, that'll go in either before or after this, I haven't figured that out yet, and I also have a special interview with John Everest, who is the composer for Battletech, uh, and um, and it's like a 40-minute conversation between he and I about composition and giant robots. Uh, I did ask him what instrument an awesome assault class mech would be if it were an instrument, and he had an answer. So look for that in the feed also. But until then, and until we come back with a conversation, here is Rob to read, The Industrial Apocalypse of Frostpunk is More Truth Than Fiction. As long as the furnace was lit, there was hope. On its front page, the local paper started tracking how many days were left before the furnace at the massive LTV steel mill in northwest Indiana finally went cold and silent. It was a kind of civic vigil for the mill, and all the people that depended on it. LTV was history. The writing had been on that particular wall for over a year. But the plant still had value as long as fires burned in the heart of its titanic blast furnace. There was still time for someone to come along and keep the mill open, keep the paychecks coming, and hold the future at bay just a little longer. The day the fire went out, it was front-page news. Beneath the headline, the Times ran a long, telephoto lens shot of the caretaker crews leaving through the rusted chain-link gates, the incomprehensibly convoluted, titanic shape of the rust-brown furnace complex standing silent and still behind them. It felt like a death. Which I suppose is why Frostpunk, the new post-apocalyptic city builder from 11-Bit Studios, the team behind this war of mine, reminds me so much of home. It's a survival-focused city builder in which the last remnants of industrial-age Britain huddle for warmth and safety around a single massive coal-fired generator in the far north while the rest of the world perishes in a sudden and unrelenting ice age. As long as the city keeps the generator powered, their homes provide shelter, their kitchens provide food, and their hospitals provide care. If that generator falters, however, then everyone perishes amidst the ruins that used to be a community's civic infrastructure. Within the game, it's a metaphor for a lot of different things. But I come from a place where it was profoundly literal. 
The generator sits at the heart of Frostpunk's small, frigid maps and gives them their novel layouts and character. Everything is laid out in concentric rings around that generator. Buildings inside the generator's radius of effect are kept considerably warmer than the outdoor temperature, but those beyond it are at the mercy of the weather and their own insulation. You can see the effects most dramatically in the map's thermal overlay, where the generator and its surroundings burn merrily in reds and yellows, while buildings on the edge of the settlement appear in colder aquamarines and deep blues. But the effects are almost as dramatic in the normal view, thanks to 11-bit studio's gorgeous and detailed artwork. Snow melts to slush and mud in the streets around the generator, and homes and buildings glow with warm light from their windows. While in colder areas, you'll watch work crews struggle through dense snowdrifts, and buildings become encrusted in frost. It's a game that captures the subtle differences between harmless heavy snow and a terrifying lethal blizzard, and makes its struggle for warmth and survival feel almost palpable as you play it. The goal in Frostpunk is to survive each of its scenarios for a fixed number of in-game days. The main campaign scenario ends after 60, and as the days go on, the weather keeps getting colder. At the start, most of the map is only chilly, and the generator keeps buildings near it comfortable. But as the temperature plunges deeper below freezing, you'll need to run the generator hotter to keep the temperatures up to livable levels for your citizens, which means you need three other things. New technology upgrades, raw materials, and healthy workforce. And here is where Frostbunk begins to get brutal. You only have so many people to start with, and it's not long before you have more jobs than you do sets of hands to do them. As the weather worsens, your citizens are increasingly likely to get sick and even die, which means gaps start opening in your workforce. But your need for ever greater resources to meet the rising energy demands of the cold weather means that you need your people to get more productive as the game goes on. Adding to the pressure, you can adopt brute force solutions like 14-hour workdays or 24-hour emergency shifts, but those both take a toll on health and morale within the city. Inevitably, you start facing choices between working people too hard, or underpowering the generator, or to start running your city at a coal deficit that will eventually cause that generator to shut down. If you don't balance these bad options effectively, you'll enter death spirals of cold, illness, declining production, and facility shutdowns. If I have a criticism of Frostpunk as a strategy game, it's that each of these scenarios tend to unfold in very predictable fashions, which makes it far easier to avoid these traps after your inaugural playthrough. If you've seen an event once, you've seen how it will play out in every subsequent game. Once you've seen the end game of each of the game's three scenarios, you pretty much know the exact bar you'll have to clear in order to win. That hasn't stopped me from trying to do better as I navigate these crises, but it has meant that the game feels much less suspenseful and much more manageable than I think suits its end times tone. But if you don't stay ahead of your problems, or if your solutions end up causing new problems, it's just a matter of time before your people banish you from the city for your mismanagement. Because as you institute austerity measures or wring more labor from your workers, discontent rises. And as things go wrong and people start dying from exposure or passing out from overwork, their hope declines. Let the discontent bar get too full, or let the hope bar get too empty, and you'll quickly find yourself with just 48 hours to turn things around before it's game over and your people banish you from the city to die in the snow. As your little avatar struggles through the blizzard, you'll see the townsfolk express grudging satisfaction that you're gone, and now they can start putting things right without you. There are two systems that exist on top of the city manager that help you escape these traps and pressures, one that expresses Frostpunk's fiction, and one that expresses its politics. 
On the fictional side, you can send scouting teams out into the world to search areas of interest where you'll often be rewarded with some extra resources and a snippet of text that sheds light on both the disaster that's befallen the world and how that world differs from our own. It's generally very well done and supported by some terrific artwork, but it's also where Frostpunk reveals a deeply generic steampunk backstory. As an aesthetic, steampunk is often defined by a collection of affectations and stylistic tics that are bound up with nostalgia for Victorian and Edwardian Britain. We get a taste of that in the intro to Frostpunk. Zeppelins circle the London skyline, giant steam locomotives churn forward across endless snowfields. More of it pops up in the game itself. Giant automatons lumber between factories and the generator, capable of replacing entire work crews with ceaseless, weatherproof productivity. Your scouts uncover relics of the lost British Empire, beached dreadnoughts abandoned in the ice pack, scientific outposts with grim notes and warnings from the royal explorers who saw this disaster coming. When you come across what's left of some American expeditions, Frostpunk completes its steampunk bingo card with some references to Nikola Tesla. But I don't think Frostpunk falls into the trap of being an ode to the British Empire and its exploitative social order. After all, most of the government's plans clearly ended in disaster, and at least two of Frostpunk's campaigns heavily imply that the ruling class intended their generator as a salvation for themselves and not for any of the workers they meant to abandon to the cold. Rather, I think what Frostpunk is nostalgic for is industry and labor in an age of mechanical and analog technology, a time when you could touch and observe the workings of the devices that made the world run, and they still left a place for you to contribute with the strength and skill of your own hands, a time when the factory meant life, security, and a future for everyone. The second of Frostpunk's metal layers is where it paints its picture of the politics within this ad hoc company town. Every 24 hours, you get to pass a new law that starts to change the character of your little community, as well as how people feel about living there. For instance, if you're desperate for additional labor early in the game, you can repeal child labor restrictions and put kids to work in safe workplaces, which will give you some extra hands to expand resource production at the cost of upsetting everybody. On the other hand... You can choose the child shelters option that lets you build insulated daycares, which will give your citizens greater hope for the future. Those choices all happen on the adaptation policy tree. But in the main campaign, you also choose between two other law tracks, order or faith. As their names imply, both offer different ways of handling both the discontent and creating hope for the future. Order presupposes that what your community really wants and needs are cops and staff meetings, while faith means churches. If that dichotomy makes your skin start to crawl, well, I think it's meant to. Each tree provides some very useful bonuses at the start. For instance, the order track starts out with morning meetings of the full workforce, where the shift supervisors will outline the day's plan and how things stand with the city as a whole. It gives people reassurance that their efforts aren't being wasted, and they go to work happier. Likewise, You start out building local neighborhood watches that protect homes and depots from theft, and people feel a bit safer and happier, knowing that their neighbors are working together to safeguard rations and coal stores. But as you proceed down that track, things get questionable and then outright fascist. You can unlock the option to build a prison, which isn't an inherently bad idea, my prison was empty for most of the game, but the prison has an ability that lets you round up malcontents and toss them in lockup for a cooling off period. But why stop there? As long as they are in prison, you can unlock a law that lets you perform some re-education on them. For that matter, you can establish a propaganda center that will provide a bonus to hope, but at the cost of raising overall discontent. Before you know it, your mouse is hovering over the loyalty oaths law, 
and your settlement has basically turned into a labor camp. However, you don't have to pass these laws, and the end of the game seems to suggest maybe you shouldn't. The game's tagline is, the city must survive, but in the end the crisis may pass, at which point you and your people will be left with the ramifications of how you survived. You can either fuel the generator or make human sacrifices to it, and perhaps the best thing I can say about Frostpunk is that it seems to know the difference. Not everyone does. When the blast furnace of the LTV mill slowly shut down in the early 2000s, it felt like people in the region would have sacrificed just about anything to bring it back to life. But what was too quickly forgotten was that those jobs weren't really anybody's dream back in the post-war decades when that work was hard but plentiful. For all the talk about bringing those jobs back to the region, it wasn't really the jobs people missed. It was the safety net they provided. The place you could go to start building toward whatever future you wanted. A decent retirement and a pension. Or a move into gray-collar management or the trades. Or maybe, like it was for my father, a place where you could have enough money to raise a family and go to school so that you wouldn't have to spend all your nights feeding the coke ovens, only to head home in the early hours covered in a film of oily soot that never quite washed off. But it was the blast furnace that our newspaper's camera lingered on, gazing past the out-of-focus workers in the foreground, as if just by keeping the furnace lit we could have preserved the comfort and security we had so long taken for granted. It's hard to capture in a headline, and impossible to capture in a single photo, that the jobs that the furnace supplied required decades of work and effort to transform into livelihoods. The furnace was just a source of heat and power for steelmaking. Workers are the ones who turned it into the heart of a community. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So, Rob, one of the things I didn't expect when I first got the draft for this review was it to open up and close on this recollection of your home and a nearby uh, uh, mill, a nearby um, industrial plant. Uh, what, type of, what type of plant was it again? Uh, it was a steel mill. I guess it was a straight up steel mill. Um, so yeah, I didn't. I like, I knew you were from Indiana, and I knew that you had some some history um, with like labor, you know, like with like labor ass labor. Um, but I didn't. I didn't expect to see that in this Frostpunk review. But then you know, it fits really cleanly into your perspective here, since the game is actually it sounds so focused on that angle. Can you can you talk a little bit about what your history is there and kind of how how that led you to some of the 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 things that you, you've written about here? Oh yeah, I mean, like a 
pretty much everyone on both sides of my family went through one of the major uh, manufacturing facilities near where I grew up. So I grew up in northwest Indiana, which is really different from the rest of Indiana. It's kind of the uh, sort of industrial sprawl of Chicago gotcha. in, in a lot of ways. And so Chicago just kind of trails off into like Lakeshore Wharves. And then when it becomes Indiana, it's like all steel mills uh, and a massive refinery and stuff like that. And, you know, in its heyday, uh, steel was really the economic heart of the region. And like pretty much everybody on my mom's side of the family, uh, my father uh, sort of through their good offices, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, they all ended up working at uh, the mills and sort of the way it worked uh, for a lot of for a lot of mills, a lot of families who depended on them was that you sort of had like almost a company loyalty to a particular mill. So like if you were an Inland Steel family, your family members pretty much all ended up working for Inland Steel. Huh. Uh, but like if you were LTV and I don't think it was called LTV back when my when my dad and uh, my uncles worked there, I think it might have been a different company. Uh, but sort of it was generations would sort of serve on the same production line uh, and sort of move move through that blue-collar ladder, uh, as it were. And, you know, growing it, like hearing about when my mom grew up, uh, I'd always sort of imagine them as a really impoverished family because so many of the stories about when she was very young focus on some really hard times. And, I mean – you know, she was one of 11 kids. Uh, so obviously, like, finances were stretched to the breaking uh, right. for that family. But it wasn't until years later that um, I realized that one of the reasons things were so tough early on is that my grandfather got caught up in the 1959 steel strike, uh, which is one of the longest labor actions in U.S. history. Uh, it was four months uh, nationwide. And for four months, basically, every steel mill in the U.S. shut down. Right. Uh, and it's it's still a controversial strike. It's still like, was it were the tactics correct? Were the policies pursued correct? Uh, did it sort of set a bomb at the heart of the U.S. steel <laughs> industry? Right. Uh, you know, was that the beginning of the end? It's it's tough to say, but what was undeniable is that when I was growing up, uh, the mills weren't hiring as many people as they used to. Right. Like there was kind of this sense that old timers worked at the mills, but there wasn't a lot of. That's not where if you were growing up, your aspirations. Uh, lay and so it's weird because of the aesthetic of Frostpunk, which has this really great uh, industrial look to it. In a weird way, because I think the buildings aren't like super recognizable and not super distinctive, the way your entire settlement in Frostpunk kind of looks like this ramshackle construction of like corrugated steel. Yeah, that whole place feels like it's been stapled together. You know. Yeah. And that's kind of how mills look. That's kind of how, like, and that's, you know, industry is um, engineering without architecture mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think Frostpunk has that look. And it reminded me so vividly of this thing I, I'd, I'd almost forgotten, which was this LTV uh, blast furnace shutdown. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, um, you know, because you'd ask after each other's extended family. Like, I was in a pretty comfortable, you know, posh burb. This is where, you know, the kid, the, the prosperous kids of mill workers ended up in, in my suburb. But everyone's still a family there. And, um, you know, I talked to a friend, you know, and we're all asking after each other's families. Like, well, how are your, you know, how are your uncles going to be? How's your dad going right. to be? And because it wasn't, you know... Everyone was far enough along that, like, retirement was almost within sight, but Not it wasn't here there. yet, man. And it sounds like you didn't have that thing that some 
some communities have, which is you do the work to get out and then you never look back and you don't even talk about the mill. You don't even talk about the, the locomotive uh, uh, factory. You don't ever talk about the coal mines again, right? Like you get out and then you're gone and that is it. It sounds like there was still a degree to which the the mills worked to to anchor that community or at least t- keep ties in place. You know, it's it's such a strange thing, right? Because um, so East Chicago is where my parents lived, and in a lot of cases, East Chicago is a lot like East Baltimore, mm-hmm. right? Like it's yeah. it's one of those communities that was heavily dependent on manufacturing, yep. and for a long time, there was nothing to escape. Like if you had a good union job, you didn't <laughs> right. really like. You, you hoped that your kids didn't have to work as hard, but there wasn't the sense of like, oh shit, this place is a trap. Right. But somewhere between like the seventies and certainly by the nineties, East Chicago, like like Gary, Indiana, gets this reputation as this sort of, you know, blighted hellhole that, that you have to escape. And and so it's this it's this weird thing of like those jobs were still regarded as good. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think for a lot of people my dad's generation, my uncle's generation, they could serve as a stepping stone. Right. Uh, and certainly by the time I was a kid, you were – if somebody were able to get a job at the mill, they were very lucky to have that kind of like laboring job because mm-hmm. uh, there weren't many left like it. Uh, but if you didn't, what else was there in the region? Right. Not a whole lot. Right. Is is that – so, I mean, the, the the irony here, the difference, or maybe <laughs> – so I – on my mom's side. So my dad's side is from North Jersey, uh, which is like, you know, on the precipice of New York. And so my, my on my dad's side, my family has always been very, like, not worldly necessarily, necessarily right? You know, black church-going folks. Like, you know, there is a local community feel. But there's always been, from everyone there, the notion that the world is bigger, right? Uh, partially, I think, mm-hmm. it's because I have uncles who served in the military, uh, who've been all around the world, and so I grew up getting letters from my uncle in Germany, my uncle going overseas to fight in the, the first Gulf War. Um, you know, uh, you're near New York, and so there's talent that passes through. You go to the concerts. You you know that so-and-so is in town this weekend. And so my dad's side of the family, despite, again, like, you know, I've been to the block that my dad grew up on dozens and dozens and dozens of times and he can point to every house and say you know obviously like my aunt still lives there i can i know where my grandmother's house was i i know all the this the i can describe to you in detail the splintered wooden staircase that it wraps up and around this three-story home that my dad grew up in um at the top two floors basically uh I, and i can tell you where like the 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 baseball fields are the nearby you yep. cut back through the woods and i can point at things that are like dark that are like uh this is where this bad thing happened because i've heard the story so many times um uh but there was always from them a sense of like a wonder and and not even escape but like the world is a big place and we can go wherever we want right um or we can't go wherever we want unless we work hard and then we can go wherever you want uh and for, for me my dad has always had that vibe right like my, my dad went to play basketball in england and he's always been like the person's like we should figure out how to go to the olympics we should figure out how to go to disney like we should figure out how to go to, on a real vacation but on my mom's side my mom's side is from a place called wilkes-barre pennsylvania which mm-hmm. is uh the sister city to scranton which you may have seen in uh in the office um, so imagine that like completely nondescript tiny american city except a little bit smaller and a lot more working class a lot more built around the coal mines which dried up 
And in in Wilkes-Barre, there is this – sorry, Wilkes-Barre, as people from Wilkes-Barre call it, as, as I should call it as someone who was born there. Um, there is the notion of the valley. You cannot get out of the valley. The valley will drag you back. Um, it is a, it Do is they a, just call it the valley? It's the valley. You're from the Lehigh Valley. You're from the so, valley. Right, where I'm from, it's the region, it's the right. Calumet region for the Calumet River. But right. everyone, and this, <laughs> it's the region. This spooks right. my girlfriend. She's like, I've never been to a place where everyone just calls something the region. What the hell does that mean? Right, and it's like it means everything. It means everything. It means everything. And the thing about the valley as a as a symbol of that is that like, you know, the valley is M shaped. You know, you got to climb the peak to get out, but then once you do, you can slide all the way back down. Um, either way, you can get to the top, and if you need to commit, which side of you know, uh, which side do you want to fall down on? Do you want to fall back into the valley, or do you want to get the fuck out? Um, and the reason I bring that up is because when I look at Frostpunk, Frostpunk does not feel like this the the small city near a metropolitan escape route. It feels like the valley because you're in the snow, and all you have is the generator. And sure, maybe you send some people out every now and then, but you're never going to find the way to a, to a paradise. What you what you what you have is what you're stuck with. You're in the snow. The generator is providing heat for you, and you better make the best of this because, by and large, no one gets out. Is yeah, that, and that's and I think that that's different for as a city builder because a lot of city builders are then about oh, and you know I think about the the Anno series right, which is like obviously they're based on a city you're at a city but like there is the gesture towards a wider world there's trade with other networks there's relationships with other with other groups there's the idea of like oh we're gonna build this and then we're gonna go move and build this but from what you've written about Frostpunk, it's the generator and then ice for miles yeah and i think that's why it that's the other reason why this resonated so hard was this feeling that i think for a lot of people in either industrial regions or places that were sort of on the supply chain for industrial regions, right? So like like, like auto, steel, and coal was this like artery of jobs and economic security that like pumped blood through, you know, the central U.S. for, for, for decades. Um, and as those things started to sicken and, and wither, uh, entire communities went with them. But the the, the funny thing is like – that happens so slowly right? that by the end, you're just clinging to the last industries and factories and whatever that are still standing right? and hoping that they can they can just hold out. Uh, and, and I think the, the metaphor of, of Frostpunk, that there's this idea of this, this storm coming, like if you do not keep this thing powered and lit, <laughs> uh, you're all going down. I, I feel like, you know, to a degree, that's that's how it feels to see these industries wither within a region. Mm. Uh, this this sense that, like, well, what comes after? And the answer is, like, you know, in reality, the answer is a lot of less good jobs, a lot of scrimping and saving and, yeah. and hardship, and and some people uh, go under entirely. But at the time, you can't you can't even see that much of a future. It's just literally like. If that thing goes, this entire community is hosed. Everything that you know depends on it uh, is gone. And I think Frostpunk is, has that has that same feel of well, we exist to service this massive <laughs> this this massive massive industrial MacGuffin, right? And mm-hmm. our entire community is both dependent on it, but also oriented towards serving it. 
right? Like it's this it's this weird symbiotic relationship where like the machine changes the people who depend on it and the people power the machine and adapt it to their adapt it to their ends. Right. I, one of the things here that is interesting is you talk about the storm coming, or one of the things that I was thinking about while editing this and, and while talking to you about it is, you know, at the heart of this game, there is this, I mean, at the heart of the game is the generator, but then around it, society blossoms. And throughout the game, you have these choices to make. Do you use child labor or not? Do you support, uh, do you build churches or do you lean into a kind of a more of a police state? Um, and in real life, Politicians and policymakers and demagogues and ideologues all build storms rhetorically to argue for the the necessity of policies like those. We need the children to be able to work. We need to get rid of a minimum wage, right? That's a real one. We need to get rid of a minimum wage. Um, I've we, got an even better one right now for you. Please. Um, so in Wisconsin, they're building this massive Foxconn uh, right. plan. Foxconn yes. notorious for their role as an Apple supplier, and they had the infamous uh, suicide nuts installed right. in their manufactories because conditions were so bad and unrelenting and people's existence was so precarious that they had a real problem where like, there were routine on-the-job deaths by suicide right. uh, in their plants. Wisconsin like courted Foxconn hard to build a massive facility in uh, in Wisconsin. And it's this it's this bizarre idea of like for the money the state is giving away to get this deal done, uh-huh. they could have just given people a fuckload of money. Right. You know they what I mean? Like it's written it's, the check. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like could have done could have done income assistance for the entire community that's going to come to depend uh, on on this thing. Right. Uh, but of course that's but the thing is it's literally a case of they're sacrificing a community to get this uh, get this plant built. Like right now, right. there are places in the outskirts of Racine, Wisconsin, where they're basically they're trying to at least uh, eminent domain away people's homes to right. make room for this factory. And of course, the jobs. Now that we're starting to get an idea of what the actual jobs are going to be, guess what? They're all temp employees. Of course, they're all done through contract. These aren't these aren't jobs that will provide for a family for a long time and let you put your kids through school and make sure that you know both partners in the in a relationship or any partners in a relationship don't need to all have jobs like it is temp work that you can't count on from season to season and from year to year um so in those cases whether that is courting a big company and giving them tax cuts and failing to provide for your for your your citizens or it's again you know trying to get rid of minimum wage trying to to change uh safety regulations getting rid of health regulations getting rid of environmental regulations what what these these kind of uh policymakers and lobbyists do is create this fictional storm and they say oh this is the only way we'll survive the so like the winter so to speak the only way that we can we can make the the economy me recover the only way that we can keep jobs around the only way and we know that it isn't the only way because there have been lots of only ways that have failed and it turned out there was another way i'm curious if in Frostpunk, a game in which the storm is real a game in which the cold will kill you will kill you not not will make things harder or will force you to adjust you know and find a new a new white space in the marketplace in which the storm will kill you, in which the storm is real, in which the cold is real, how does it maintain a sense of, of morality and possibility 
instead of falling into a sort of like the ends justify the means and given the situation, we need to go all the way to that. Because as you write, it makes it feel as if, despite the fact that the conditions are harsh, it never says, and therefore authoritarianism and fascism and police statism are all justified. Yeah, it's an interesting... So I was actually much more concerned about it until I beat it. Because it's when you beat it that it kind of judges what you've done like it, it kind of then sort of looks back at the choices you made it's so it's an interesting move there at the end uh where frostpunk kind of says okay you survived but at what cost what choices mm-hmm. did you make along the way and i was lucky because there were certain things that i just couldn't bring myself to do like i flirted with totalitarianism like i had i had cops like i had plenty of cops uh i had a prison um, right. I once cracked down on protesters because they were about to go back to London, uh, and they were going to take about like 50 people with them right? and they were all going to die. And so I was like, oh, this is a case. You know what? No, you're not. You're not going back to London. You're going to sit this one out in jail if necessary, but no, you're not going out and going back to London. We're at the North Pole for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I definitely like made some moves that even now I'm like kind of iffy about. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, like what I couldn't bring myself to do was like institute the loyalty of pledge, uh, which would have been everyone is just loyal to the captain and you all work <laughs> for him now. Right. Um, and the other thing is increasingly these problems. So the, the thing is what those things are doing are not actually solving the problems your community faces. They're solving problems that you face. Mm, and that's, that's a kind huge of, distinction. Yeah. Adaptation, that tree, is liter- is is all very functional. Like there there's still some moral gray areas in there. Like kids are gonna get put to work at one one way or another. It can either be in manual manual labor or the more humane option is the older ones start helping out in hospitals and sure. uh, you know and that kind of thing. So yeah, they're gonna get put to get put to work somehow. Um but in general, everything is about, okay, how can we actually increase our productivity a little bit? How can we cut consumption during, uh, you know, the cold snaps? Um, how do we maintain, uh, you know, basic, like, are we going to hold on to burial rights or are we just going to dispose of the bed in the most efficient, the dead uh, in the most efficient way possible? It's those kind of choices. And those are going to affect how you can adapt to resource shortages and the mm-hmm. weather. Right. But on those purpose tracks, uh, order or faith, by the end, you're not actually addressing those resource issues. What you're addressing is the fact that people are fucking miserable. Right. And if they're miserable, they're going to depose you. And what those options allow you to do at the, at the extremes is just basically shut down the ability for them to push back on you. You know, fuck right. you because I said so. Right. And that's not going to make people any safer. It's not going to keep anyone from dying. It's just going to let you pay those costs without caring a little longer. Right. And those costs in the game mechanically are discontent and hope, right? There's a discontent bar that you do not want to fill up and a hope bar that you do not want to go down. Um, the review doesn't get too too tight into this, but from my experience with it, discontent um, rises as things go bad, basically. Um, and 
uh, as you demand more from people. And hope hope is a thing that you can manage by agreeing to do things and then following through. Is that is that accurate? For the most part, there's also some laws that, like, again, like, if you do ceremonial burials, for instance, right. people have hope because, like, look, right. we're not we're not just throwing corpses in a pile, like, right. that kind of thing. But the, so, so to talk to the other half of that, the thing about, like, oh, I promise I'll do blank, um, that's something that doesn't really show up here. And I, I haven't played this game since E3, so maybe this is just gone now. But one of the things that I was interested in was – or one of the things that seemed neat was I could make a promise that would temporarily boost hope. But then I'd have to do it. Then I'd have to, like, commit to the thing and yep. actually succeed. Um, did that pop up for you as, as you played? And, like, can you tell me a story of that? Because, because uh, again, I haven't gotten – I haven't – I've been deep in Battletech, as you know, uh, yeah. and some other games, Swords of Ditto, other, other things. And so I've not had time to dig into, into this. And I'm curious how that plays – how that actually functions in play. Okay, so let me tell you about how I wiped out a city within, like, the first 36 hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, basically right. – Okay, so here's an example of good intentions and promises gone awry. Uh, basically, I mean, there are several tiers you. of housing that you get. And the first tier is basically hey, Rob, just can you, tents. can you do that one more time? I lost you there, so I didn't hear anything you just said. I laughed so hard my internet <laughs> shut okay. off, I guess. All right, go ahead. Give me that one more time. Uh, so, yeah, so basically here's how I wiped out a settlement in, in the first uh, 36 hours. And it's a story of, like, uh, good intentions and promises gone awry. And sort of the driving force is that there's several tiers of housing in Frostpunk. And the first tier is just tents. And they're super shitty. And when the weather gets cold, they don't actually, like, keep people very warm at all. It's, like, very minimal shelter. So I was just kind of looking at them as, like, these are really just kind of resource sinks. Like, these these suck. These aren't homes. These, These are... These are, you know, bits of pipe with sheets hung off them. Like I'm not I'm not even going to waste the <laughs> manpower or the resources to build these tents. No, no, no. People don't know it now, but in a few days time, I'm going to build them nice bunkhouses with insulation and wood and it's going to be great. And uh-huh. all you got to do is just sleep sleep rough next to this generator hey it's pretty toasty the weather's mild so far so like you know it's not so bad uh it's like you're camping um so that part on your gravestone it's like you're camping rob zachney 2018 yeah so in the meantime the thing you have to remember is in the background of Frostpunk, there's always a bunch of other shit going on like there's always mm-hmm. like yes the housing problem is is sort of slowly becoming an issue but you also still need to keep shoveling like coal into that generator oh there's a cold snap coming which is going to mean cranking up the generator uh to to generate more heat and so i'm just i'm just trying to explain why maybe things didn't go the way i planned mm-hmm. um so everyone's sleeping outside and after about a day of this someone's like you know Homes would be nice. <laughs> sure would. And I was like, fuck you. You're going to get great homes soon, but just be patient. So I'm not dealing with this right now. Like, no homes. Uh, and then, like, everyone's, like, kind of unhappy and, like, okay, very unhappy. Uh, and they're working very hard and people are starting to get sick. And I'm still like, not, bo- you know what? I'll build a sick bay, but no homes. And then, um, so about, like, two and a half days in, uh, people are like, yo, you really need, like, we demand homes. Like, at this point, like, if you do not give us homes, we're going, there, there's going to be some, there's going to be some major Hell issues. to pay, yeah. Yeah. I want a home. 
And you always have you have a few different uh, options. Your options really are kind of yeah. We have homes at home. We <laughs> we or single black coffee or uh, or bunkhouses, bunkhouses, bunkhouses. bunkhouses. Uh-huh. Um, so. Those are your those are your options, and I went with the all right. Fuck it, like McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Let's do uh, it. Let's do it. All sorts of homes. First, I need to Condos. research that tech. Oh, uh oh. And Which I was like, oh, done because it wasn't a priority for you, right? And it's one tier up on the tech tree, so you actually have to unlock that tier by paying an additional resource cost. And now there's a lot of people sick, so a lot of workplaces like are fully staffed, but the people aren't actually there. They're like coughing up a lung in the medical tent. Mm-hmm. And so, like, oh, okay, it's going to take a little longer to get that tech unlocked. Cool, cool, it's going to be fine. Um, you know what? I will just uh, make the research labs work 24-7 uh, to, to unlock this tech, and I'll get the resource collection teams also working 24-7. It'll be great. It's not great at all. People are furious. Like, people hate working extended shifts. They really hate working 24-hour shifts. Uh, and so I am, like, trying to get this shit done, and the deadline is coming up fast, and I finally unlock bunkhouses, and I'm like, all right, great. How many do I need? <laughs> eight? I need eight bunkhouses? That's a lot. That's a, That's lot, a lot of homes. How many people was this? Uh, I think I had like 80. I think it's like 10 per bunkhouse. 10 it per might... bunkhouse is, that sounds right, Rob. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, look, it's high capacity. Look, they have an enviable zoning uh, situation <laughs> in Frostpunk. Like, nobody's like, you have to build a detached home here. <laughs> you just you just load up on triple deckers. <laughs> just uh, go for it. Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay, uh, how many can I build right now? Two. Oh. I can build two. Oh, that's not what you promised, though. No. No. So I am crash. Like at this point, everyone is just like, just gather wood, just gather as w- wood as quickly as possible. That medical tent has wood in it. Tear it the fuck down. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so I get like, everyone stops working. I'm like tools down. We now have the wood. Everyone start building these homes. Don't you want your homes? You want to be happy people. I'm trying to give God. you what you wanted. Uh, and dude, I lost the race by like a pixel. Like, oh. cause you have the bars that fill up. My people, like, I broke my promise about three seconds before the final bunkhouse was completed. No. All right. That's kind of bullshit. They should be able to, yeah, he's seven, seven out of eight ain't bad. He's doing his best. The eighth one's right there. Yeah, you know, but at the same you know time. What? I like, take it back. That's how it is sometimes. Sometimes yeah. what it is is, like, there are so, you know, hope should have been higher anyway. Right? Like, you should have had hope higher for other things. This yeah. was the straw that broke the camel's back. You made a promise. You broke the promise. Exactly. And, and that is how people work sometimes. It, it, the rational thing sometimes escapes, or it doesn't, it's not that it's not, it's that there's a larger sense of rationality, which is like, if you can't keep this super basic promise after all the other promises you didn't make or broke, it's time to go. You're out. And now I'm the captain, or whatever. Is that what the fail state is, basically? Yeah, you're you're deposed, and people like people don't execute you. It's weird. Like Frostpunk has this really cool and dramatic trailer where somebody gets like basically murdered by Frost. Um, oh. That's not how the game ends. Uh, basically, everyone's like, "Look, we understand you did your best, but you need to get the fuck out. Like you're done." Right? And can you still can you still go like gather wood? Not like actually mechanically, but narratively in your mind when you're deposed, do you get to hang around the community and be the person who's? Oh like, no, it's totally the. Um, I'm going outside and I may be some time. 
It's it's right. that kind of like okay. you are walking out into the snow to die of exposure because that is so they are executing the you. Okay, yeah. but you're it's but it's like this the, the Socrates version of it, which is like, all right, fuck it, I guess. Like I could do this thing to stay I could say, well I'll stay around, but I'm not gonna do that. Right. Got you. Well, Rob, I'm really excited to play Frostpunk. Like like I said, Battletech has pretty much devoured my free time lately, but I've been so excited for Frostpunk over the last year uh, that I'm going to try to put some time away this weekend to dig in. Thank you so much for the review. It's a great review. You can go read it on the site, uh, waypoint.advice.com. Please go read that. And there's a video review up also that is fantastic. Shout-outs to Danielle for cutting that uh, and for Rob for providing the, the voiceover. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's great. Go find that, youtube.com slash waypointadvice. Um, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? At Rob Zachney. Rad, you can find me at Austin underscore Walker. You can follow uh, all, all everything Waypoint does, twitter.com slash Waypoint, uh, facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice, again, youtube.com slash Waypoint Vice, twitch.tv slash Waypoint, and waypointadvice.com. As always, thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Payout Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Um, and then, uh, I just wanted to remind everybody again, heads up, your, the feed is going to be filled with stuff. We have this, we're going to have a Battletech, uh, review chat, and that's going to be a bigger review chat probably, because I played, I've played 20 some hours of that game, and Rob's I've probably booked the played. rest of my afternoon. Hell yeah. Cleared it is the two, schedule. It is 2 p.m. Get ready for the four hour, it's probably not going to be four hours long, but it'll probably be over an hour. It'll probably be a full size cast. Maybe that's just our Friday cast this week, Rob. I don't know. Um, that might be the, the play. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. I have some questions to go over i asked people on twitter for questions um so look forward to that and then again i had a i had a great conversation with john everest who is the the composer for battletech um and and that'll go up in the feed too and then and then you can go also watch a little behind the scenes vignette of uh of, of john uh, making making music for battletech with orchestras and an instrument that he invented it's a it's a whole thing it's really a cool little video uh so check that out um and uh, uh is there anything else i just rob can you believe we got this week in video games like, Dude, it's been a grueling week for the content production side but yep. like it's it's joyous labor in a yeah. lot of ways yeah though the generator it is warm <laughs> uh that's gonna do it for us we'll be back again have a good one everybody peace Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.